I'm recording this episode on the day after one of those crazy snowstorms that people here in Canada know only too well. If you don't have to be on the roads, you stay off them. But in my case, it wasn't possible. Although I really like the Toyota Highlander that we bought less than a year ago, it never occurred to me at the time the price I would pay for having all those extra seats once winter came along. Even with the extra long extendable scraper brush, it seems to take forever to get it cleaned off well enough that I can see where I'm driving. It's those moments when the idea of taking a taxi becomes rather appealing, or better yet, an Uber. Like most people, I was quickly attracted to the idea of a ride-sharing app that allowed me to summon a car and driver with a click of my smartphone and to be able to have the payment, including the gratuity, charged automatically from my credit card rather than fumbling around for cash. I can still remember the first time I ordered one of those special black Uber town cars while we were out on a date night and the impressed look on my wife's face. Of course, since Uber and some of its competitors have emerged, the opportunity has not only been to become an Uber customer, but an Uber driver. And on the worst days, when client work dries up and you wonder if being in content marketing is even worth it, I'll admit that the idea has crossed my mind, briefly. For the moment, though, the best way for me and anyone else to get some perspective about the world of Uber, or the world it wants to show is to look at its attempts to create its own publication, something that it has tried at least three times. And the most recent one may be the most interesting. Fasten your seatbelts as we take a look at Vehicle Magazine on the Owned Media Observer. The Owned Media Observer is an exercise in applying media criticism to the branded content that takes an editorial approach to storytelling. This is a podcast for content marketers who want to do better work, for media professionals who want to size up their competition, and for audiences of all kinds who want to better understand all the new sources of information popping up everywhere around them. When I'm not making this podcast, I work as a journalist covering business and technology and as a content marketing consultant, helping some of the world's biggest brands and smallest startups influence the strategic thinking of their most valuable customers. You can find out more about me and maybe even work with me by visiting my website at shaneshick.com. I was in Dublin, Ireland for a major tech conference known simply as the Web Summit when I first heard about Uber by one of the keynote speakers. I don't actually remember who he was, but I remember he was asked about which startups he was keeping his eye on, and he mentioned how he wanted to try this app that allowed you to get your own personal driver instead of a traditional cab. I also remember him saying that it was expensive and he wasn't sure if he wanted to spend $15 to take a short trip across San Francisco. This was probably around 2012, and a lot of people since then have obviously decided it's well worth the money. Uber has not only been successful in disrupting the transportation industry, it has almost become synonymous with the very idea of disruption and is usually cited as the key player in what's known as the sharing economy. That's the plus side. There have also been a ton of minuses, including what was described by many as a toxic internal culture 
that was unfriendly to women and others, behavior by one of its co-founders and former CEOs that led to his abrupt departure, and a technology dubbed Godview that allegedly spied on riders and their habits. These were just some of the issues that were plaguing Uber itself. There are also regular stories about the behavior of Uber drivers. I just did a quick search on Google News and came across stories that accused Uber drivers of shooting passengers, assaulting them, and a few others that I don't even want to mention here. Add to that the growing backlash that Uber has had to contend with from regulators and other lawmakers about whether its service should even be allowed in certain jurisdictions and what kinds of rules it should follow. Uber, in other words, makes headlines all the time. It's probably no surprise it eventually wanted to have more control over the process. The first sign Uber was getting serious about owned media was a filing it made to the U.S. Patent Office in April of 2018, filed under Magazine Subscription and Fulfillment Services and described as its general feature magazine, Uber got a trademark for the brand name Vehicle, and in June of the same year, the first issue started to attract the traditional media's attention. In a story on the Daily Beast, for example, a Yahoo News journalist named Alexander Nazarian talked about how he advised Uber on its editorial strategy and why he wrote several pieces for the first issues. Here's what he said. Quote, this was a way for us to learn about people in cities and share those stories, Nazarian said. Quote, we really wanted to share the stories of people very respectfully and honestly, without resorting to voyeurism or that lurid gaze that tourist magazines sometimes have, end quote. Nazarian suggested vehicle magazine could almost be akin to an in-flight magazine on an airplane something that drivers could leave in the seat pockets for riders to look at while they were going from one place to another. He also emphasized the need to stay focused on the interest of its audience and not become a piece of corporate propaganda. Quote, I hope Uber recognizes that this project will only succeed if Uber leaves it alone, Nazarian said. Quote, I really hope they're not going to wreck this by making it into another marketing product. That would be very unfortunate, end quote. Although it also included contributions from people who had worked with well-known publications like Fast Company, Vehicle Magazine was not an international or even national media entity. The first issues were localized to just two major areas in which the company operated, Washington and Seattle. It also wasn't the first time Uber had experimented with owned media. As a story on GeekWire pointed out, this was a road well-traveled for Uber. In 2015, the company had done something that seemed very similar with Arriving Now, a publication that was made available exclusively to its customers and riders in New York City. There are no online archives that I could find for Arriving Now, but it was launched to coincide with New York Fashion Week, and in a press release, Uber said it would be packed with pro tips, hotspots, and exclusive details about upcoming promotions. It was aimed squarely at riders, in other words. Just a few months earlier, though, Uber had brought out an entirely different publication that was focused on its community of drivers. It was called Momentum, 
and you can still see the inaugural issue on the publishing platform Scribd. The cover shows a smiling and very well-dressed Uber driver, and the stories are about how to stay healthy and in shape even if you are driving an Uber all day. Arriving Now might have been intended as a deliberately isolated project to attract the attention of a particular kind of high-end clientele, but Momentum was announced as a quarterly. And yet it seemed to only run for about two issues, with no explanation of why it was dropped. This is not unusual, of course. If you've listened to my episodes about owned media from the likes of Airbnb and Casper, you'll know that brands sometimes need to go back to the drawing board before they hit upon the right approach. Unlike its predecessors, though, Vehicle Magazine seemed to be directed at both riders and drivers. And since I'm one of those two things, I decided to look it up. The cover of Vehicle Magazine's first print issue and the image you see on its website are focused on the same striking photograph. A beautiful woman with dark skin and curly black hair stares at the viewer with a gaze both calm and confident. She's wearing a black t-shirt and a beautiful scarf of blue, white, and purple. The only headline are the words, Love Wins. Written by Adam Williams, who works in Uber's brand experience and user experience design teams, the story includes interviews and profiles of six different female Ethiopian Uber drivers who live and work in Seattle. It's actually translated into their local language on one side of the page and English on the other. They're talking to Williams while getting their hair done at a local salon, and they're photographed against backdrops featuring bold, colorful stripes. Some are dressed simply, but others are wearing dresses, designer jackets, and stylish blouses. Suffice it to say, they look unlike any Uber driver I have ever seen. Even more compelling than the images, however, are the quotes, which talk about the importance of God, of their home country, and what it's really like to work in the sharing economy. For anyone who wonders who these drivers are and why they do something like this, It's hard to imagine someone better at humanizing the profession than a woman simply identified as Samrawet, who says, quote, I work a lot, just driving. I take each day in shifts. In the morning, I drop my kids at school. Then I'll drive until the afternoon when I pick them up to bring them home so that we can have a dinner together. After putting them to bed, I'll go back out on the road. I've met a lot of other drivers in the SeaTac waiting lot. It's good to have friends who share the same work, end quote. For a company with Uber's PR and legal troubles, stories like this one help offer a counter-narrative, while also educating the public about its mission and values in a way that seems transparent. Not everything on Vehicle Magazine talks about Uber, though. There's a feature story about St. Stephen and the Incarnation, an Episcopal church based in the Columbia Heights area of Washington, D.C., The story interviews local residents, from believers to hardcore activists, and talks about how it has become better and safer over time. Uber, in other words, is not merely providing a transportation service, but is demonstrating an active interest in exploring the communities it serves. Perhaps more importantly, Vehicle Magazine often turns its editorial lens on what happens when you're not in one of its cars. 
There's a great personal essay by Trish Romano, for instance, called Drifting, that talks about the relationship between those living in Seattle and the water, and the pleasures of taking, not an Uber, but a ferry ride to get to work and back. Reading vehicle reminded me of a concept that was at one time called hyper-local journalism. As the rise of digital media started putting a lot of small-town newspapers out of business, a number of startups like Patch began offering their own attempts at bringing coverage you wouldn't find anywhere else. Another story by Romano taps into something integral to many cities, its sports team, by interviewing a resident who has since become a reluctant, but now diehard fan, of the Seattle Seahawks. Yes, there are a few articles about local food and so on, but the overall theme that's consistent throughout Vehicle Magazine is that the places the team is writing about are great cities to experience, whether you live there or whether you're visiting there. I should add that Uber isn't the only ride-sharing startup to do interesting things with owned media. Its best-known competitor, Lyft, launched a content hub of its own called Cities Talk Back in 2019. Developed in collaboration with some content studios, the site goes the opposite route in exploring the notion that America is not a place, but an idea, and features stories about race, immigration, and many of the U.S.'s biggest challenges. Vehicle Magazine steers clear of such controversial territory, choosing instead to celebrate and even entertain. One of the biggest surprises, at least for me, in the first issue was an actual poem called Riders on These DC Streets by spoken word artist Charity Blackwell. This is just part of it. What if a tire popped and had a red light stop in Gallery Place on 7th and H, or the GPS signals distress, and every turn became a guess, or he swirls and twirls to miss the squirrel hurled into the streets and accidentally bumps a tree? What if all these chapters of scenarios needed translation? Or were these just a fictional figment of my imagination? I'm sure she delivered that better than I did. But at any rate, the bulk of Vehicle Magazine are stories that fall under the label Driver's Side, which feature first-person perspectives that go into greater detail. This was one of my favorites, from a man named Swill Canham, who, when he's not driving an Uber, is also a concert violinist. I drive the deadliest road in Whatcom County in Bellingham. For some time, I was the only driver in North Bellingham where there's a casino. I decided not to set my destination for the casino, but to provide a presence up there so when people turn on their app, they can find a ride. Everything I've done in my adult life has been to contribute towards healing a childhood wound. I was taken away from my tribe. I'm saying this without guilt or trying to shame anybody. But I was raised in a racist home away from my reservation. Their bigotry was backed up by an institutional power. That's what racism is, right? My life has been about creating opportunities for people to connect. As an entertainer, an actor, a comedian, a violinist, a composer. Everything I've ever done has been about that. Even as a drill sergeant in the U.S. Army... There's nothing more connecting to me than bringing someone from point A to point B. It fulfills some core values of mine. Driving has changed my relationship to everything. My name, Swill Canham, means pulls or works for the spirit of the people. That's what I do. As an Uber driver partner, I don't work for Uber. 
I work for the spirit of the people. Uber is just my platform. What we need in the world is more connection. There's no doubt about it. We need to have people to have access. I picked up a lady who had an electric wheelchair. It was heavy, but I lifted it up and put it in my trunk. When I offered her the phone charger, I saw her crying. She told me, this is my fourth Uber trip, and they just keep getting better and better. She explained, for the first time since I was in a car accident years ago, I'm experiencing freedom. I said, I'm a U.S. Army veteran. I put my life on the line for freedom. And you're giving me an opportunity to experience that here too. We shared a tearful moment and then started the trip. The canoe behind me is a traditional family canoe with a purpose and intention. It has everything that you should want for the journey to carry people in an energy efficient way. My job is to take care of my car in the same way that my ancestors took care of canoes. To me, that's what Uber provides. When I drive, I'm the skipper of a canoe. The spirit of whoever rides in my canoe becomes a part of it. Did that sound a little too pro-Uber? Maybe a little gussied up, if not somewhat fabricated or contrived? Maybe. Or maybe the whole thing was true. Maybe this was an actual living, breathing example of someone who not only works as an Uber driver, but has seen firsthand some of the ways it has affected people's lives. Yes, there are lots of stories about horrifying Uber experiences, but I also know lots of people who have horrifying stories about riding in a traditional cab, too. Vehicle Magazine may be one of the few places where you'd see a story like this published today, because what's in most traditional media's crosshairs are the scandals and challenges that stand in the company's way. The risk is going too far in the positive direction and doing nothing to acknowledge the rest of the conversation. That's one of the biggest voids in Vehicle Magazine. Reading it, you might never imagine the taxi industry is desperately hoping to put Uber out of business. There's no stories about the taxi drivers who have been disrupted since ordinary people cannot become Uber drivers, or that working for Uber has scarred some of its former employees. You might also gloss over the challenges that are taking place in Washington or Seattle, which is why we continue to need publications like the Washington Post and the Seattle Times. Uber may not be ready to handle this level of editorial complexity because Vehicle Magazine appears to have stalled. Looking at the website, you can easily imagine how it might look if the company were to add additional cities and expand its coverage. But there don't seem to have been any recent updates in quite some time. It'll be interesting to see if, after arriving now, Momentum, and now Vehicle magazine, Uber decides that enough is enough, and to leave the owned media space entirely. Somehow I doubt it. There are so many stories to tell here. This is the first draft of a very particular history, and I wouldn't be surprised if, at some point, Vehicle magazine were given a jump start. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe on whatever service you use to get the best podcasts. I'm always open to feedback as well as suggestions for other examples of owned media I should critique. Send your ideas or comments my way via email at schickmedia at gmail.com or on social media like Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram. 
This podcast is recorded in beautiful Toronto, Canada, and is only possible thanks to all the brands that pay me to help them create content that serves the needs of their communities. This has been Shane Schick for the Owned Media Observer. Thanks for listening.